What's going on, guys? We are back with the 50 plus one football show, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. We have a nice little host of topics for you today. But with me, as always, a man who to me is like VAR mistakes to the Premier League. It's Billy. Does that mean you absolutely hate me and wish I didn't exist as well? That's really horrible. But like, no, it was more of the fact that VAR, oh my God. <laughs> No, it was more of the fact that VAR and, and the Premier League mistake or VAR mistakes in the Premier League go hand in hand. It was supposed to be nice. Well, <laughs> like Lewis said, we go hand in hand, like the Premier League and VAR controversy. And that's where we'll start this episode with the VAR controversy from the Tottenham Liverpool game last weekend and all the fallout from that. Before we move over to the Bundesliga, where we look at Bayern and their comeback abilities, 2 0 down against Leipzig last weekend. Uh, Jerome Boateng making a comeback as well. And Dortmund versus Hoffenheim had a couple of questions of its own. We'll go through a red card for Rami Benzabaini, but all that and more after this. So, I said it in the intro, VAR controversy. And this, on a scale that we haven't seen before, I know we spoke week one this season about the Wolves penalty incident at Old Trafford where Andre Onana clattered into Sasha Kalajic and the check was, was you know, that was checked, but there was no penalty given. This has completely changed the way I think people and managers are going to approach VAR. So if you haven't seen it, Liverpool playing away at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Luis Diaz cleaned through on goal. Scores. Uh, but it's brought back for an offside. It was checked by VAR. And anyone could see with their naked eye that he's clearly onside. But the uh, the VAR said, no, you're right. Offside, no goal. But that's just the tip of the iceberg, Lewis. Yeah, because you hear and, you know, they have have since released or the PGMOL has released the audio from the var room you know for more transparency and i mean transparency yes but it just makes the var officials look so unbelievably bad i mean it is just a shit show it's about five different people basically talking into what seems to be the same microphone you could understand more at auction and you know from that standpoint it really doesn't surprise me that a referee doesn't get the message from upstairs, by the way, we found something. But it's it's also just the fact that, you know, the timing, they look at it, they're like, mm, no, nah, the call seems to be onside. And then it comes out that the VAR officials didn't even realize that you know, the the officials on the pitch had ruled that goal out for an offside. That's the biggest thing. And then by the time they've realized that, and, you know, then they obviously see, you know, like everyone else, it's clearly not offside. By the time they try and get that message down to the officials on the pitch, it's already too late and they've restarted it. And it's that type of incompetence. Like, you know, you're paid literally just to watch the game and make sure everything's going according to plan and by the rule book. How do you miss 
that the referee has called for an offside and disallowed the goal because of that. You know, you can't tell me that there's only one screen in the VAR room and that screen at that moment was being used to draw the lines. No, that's not on. It's really bad. And if you do listen to that audio, it is very difficult to make out who exactly is talking and who where and what they're trying to get across. Exactly. But they've just had this new state-of-the-art facility built at Stockley Park uh, near Uxbridge. And they've all got monitors in front of them, so many screens in front of them. This should not happen. No. Now, okay, look, the PGMO have said it was, you know, abundant human error, which I think people could, uh, could understand and forgive. Like regular VAR stuff, you complain about it for a day, and then by the time Monday morning comes around, it's okay, fine. We didn't get that one, but but we might get one later on in the season. This is so bad. So incredibly bad. So all the VAR officials on duty during that match uh, have since been suspended until further notice. And Darren England, who was who was the VAR, so obviously he's got the assistant VARs, which I'm not really sure what they do. But Darren England will not officiate Liverpool for the rest of the season, although he still has the backing of the head of the PGMOL, Howard Webb, whose big mission this season was to try and make uh, referees and, and the whole organisation as a whole more accessible and transparent. And in doing that, he's just shown how bad they are. Yeah, because this I... is a mistake every week. This is why we have things on Sky Sports, they have Dermot Gallagher do ref watch on a Monday morning. This is why they've got Mike Dean on Soccer Saturday to go through referees. The job of a referee, you shouldn't really notice the referees there. Yeah. As we've said so many times, the referee should not be the main story from a football match, let alone one the size of Tottenham against Liverpool. Like you said, it goes beyond what we normally see, and it just is going to increase the calls for VAR to be completely scrapped. This is, I think, unprecedented. I mean, it's an unprecedented unprecedented level of human error. And, you know, Jurgen Klopp, in my opinion, is within his right to now start demanding a rematch because that is a joke. Obviously, you know, Tottenham's not going to want to do it. Um, they walked away with the three points and are, you know, still one of the two unbeaten teams left in the Premier League, the other being Arsenal. Um, but, you know, if you're going to go about it like that, I saw comments on Instagram and Twitter going all, oh, you shouldn't need the referee to, um, or you shouldn't have to blame the referee because you lose. I understand that in some cases, you know, yes, that is warranted, but this is just so unbelievably over the top i mean we're not talking about a a close offside call there is a solid half a meter where luis diaz is onside so you know i'm going to turn that one around and say tottenham fans you really want to stay the unbeaten team of the premier league with a call that is so clearly wrong and 
you know, at the end of the day, Jurgen Klopp is probably going to be right. Um, he won't get any points or Liverpool won't get any more points. Uh, there probably won't be a rematch because I think the biggest problem with this is if you do a rematch for this, it opens up a can of worms basically where every VAR decision that is missed, you're going to have a precedent where clubs are going to go and take legal action and basically say, you know, there's been the precedent with Tottenham versus Liverpool. They re had a rematch and then you're going to have rematches left, right and center. Because, you know, as we've said, this isn't the first, this definitely won't be the last of the VAR mistakes. And, you know, to top it all off, you've got VAR in the best league in the world, not or functioning no better than, you know, it seems like it would on a Sunday league pitch. And that, that to me is the biggest joke of all. You know, in Germany, you've had VAR controversies, but you've never had any, you know, definitely not at this magnitude and definitely not as many in the same time span. Yeah, that's the thing. That if Jurgen Klopp bitches and moans and, and calls for replays, which I think is just a reactionary thing to try and get it into the papers because people will pick that up and run with it more than just Jurgen Klopp said VAR is shit. But it will create a precedent. And while we're at it, let's replay the Champions League final where Liverpool played Spurs and got that penalty where the ball hit the the inside of Moussa Sissoko's armpit. Let's replay uh, England-Germany 2010 because Lampard's goal crossed the line and wasn't given. It's that sort of stuff. Let's You could list it and reel it off so many matches, so many games, so many moments. Let's go back to the 2010 World Cup final. Let's send off Nigel de Jong for kicking Xabi Alonso in the chest. You know, it's it's one of those things, but there has to be a way to fix this because football isn't some untouchable sport. It's been changed. Things have, have mattered. We, we've got semi-automatic offsides in the Champions League and we saw them in the World Cup. But Premier League bosses and PGMO bosses voted against that this summer. It, it is really just baffling to me. It is such a simple fix. These semi-automated offsides have been proven to work in argue, arguably the biggest club competition on this planet, being the Champions League. It's not that hard. Why you would vote against this is beyond me. And, I mean, it, it makes the referees look bad as well. As a lineman missing a call like that, you know, it's not a close call. No. For a professional lineman, he should be making that call and seeing that. But if there was no technology, you could kind of... Exactly. You'd move on from it quickly. You wouldn't dwell on it. The fact yeah. that there's technology in place to stop this makes it so much worse. And, you know, the, there, there has to be several ways to fix this. Pay them more or hire ex-pros to assist them. Because an ex-pro knows the flow of a game. They know uh, the, the atmosphere, the situations involved. Yeah. You know, we'll talk about Rami Benzabaini's one uh, in, in a moment, but those little moments where you sort of, you, you kick a ball away or you hold onto a ball for a bit longer from a throne or a free kick, it's just to let your team get back in position. 
It's the reason people players are told to stand on a ball if they give a free kick away. Gives the, the defenders and midfielders chance to get back into position so you're not hit quickly on a counter. Another way, have it work like TMO in rugby. Yeah. Most, if not all stadiums, have big screens these days. Some of them would have to have it in. You know, Old Trafford doesn't have one, but they can be easily installed. And have the images that the referee is being shown, shown on the big screen so everyone can see what's going on. And have the audio available to the people watching at home. Because at the moment, yeah, okay, the commentators can hear it. And you'll hear them go, oh, they are just doing a check on this. Or it was checked, but nothing was given. Let us hear that. Because then people will have a better idea. They'll have, dare I say, it, a little bit more understanding. I'm not going to say sympathy because officials has to be the most hated job in the world. Oh, by uh, far. And, and the other one that I can think of, it's not to do with the technology or the personnel. It's just to do with the application of it. Like DRS in cricket. Each manager or each captain, similar in tennis, you get a certain number of opportunities so you get four a match or two a half or something to say oh i would like that checked please i you know my, my players are saying that was offside or my players are saying that's a handball i would like that to be checked please and it takes however long it takes but you've only got a certain number of seconds before you can use it after the ball goes out of play or something so if a goal is scored and your center backs are crying that it's offside you have 10, 15 seconds to go to the referee. Ref, I would like that to be checked by by VAR, please. I mean, similar thing in, as well in uh, in in the NFL, for instance, where you have where each each coach has a certain amount of challenges that he can that he can basically uh, use, and he and he throws a flag on the pitch and basically like, yeah, I want to challenge this. Uh, I want to challenge this call, and yeah, they also have the same amount and. Um, you know, that, that also reminds me of, I don't know if you've seen, uh, the BBC's, uh, I think it was 50 greatest shocks of the world cup, um, uh, where they interview like different pundits and whatnot about the greatest shocks of the world cup. And they did one for the world cup 2010, where they also interviewed this American comedian who was, um, who was reacting to one of the bigger missed penalty calls that the U S didn't get, um, during the world cup 2010, he was basically you have to understand that for American fans, it made no sense. In America, the referee, after a call is made, stands in front of the whole in front of the whole stadium and announces through the megaphone what the call is and why it's been made. And here, you have a referee who's asked what the call's been, and he basically goes, "None of your business." And so, you know, it's it's things like that. But you know, to bring it back to, you know, what you've been saying with the with the challenges challenges and whatnot. I think the big issue with that would be that too many purists would kick off because the game is going to become more like American football with more stoppages or in rugby or whatnot. And it would ruin the flow of the game because people are already kicking off about the fact that now you can't even celebrate a goal without having to first wait, see if it gets disallowed again or not because VAR checks every goal basically. So if you already have people kicking off about that, think about what people would kick off when, you know, you have one or two challenges per half or per game where mid game, all of a sudden the coach is like throws basically a flag onto the pitch and basically is like, 
yeah, I would like to have that checked. That's the only issue I see. But other than that, you know, I'm wholeheartedly agreeing with you. Well, the other the other answer to that is make it similar to rugby. The the clock stops. It doesn't keep ticking. It you know if there's a an offside call that needs check in, the clock stops. If there's a free, if there's a foul, the clock is stopped before well, the free kick is taken. It wouldn't change the fact but that it, you know it's I a do, Yeah, I do get it. Purists would kick off, and it's not it's not perfect. But what's the other option? Exactly. But you, you put all this money into the infrastructure for it. You put all this time and effort into going. This is the way forward. You know. You go back to that Charlie Austin interview after um, Saints had a goal ruled out and they lost the game. Before VAR, I was like, this is the best league in the world. Clearly, yeah. they need help. Which clearly, they did need help. But that is... It's one of those. It's going to be difficult. going to be hard. And yeah, calling for rematches is just taking the piss. I think there should be. I, I'm not gonna lie. I agree with. I agree with him. If if you have something that is this unprecedented, he probably himself isn't gonna think that he's gonna get that rematch or that Liverpool will get that rematch. But I think if you have a chance to, you know, get a rematch legally speaking. This is probably a case for it because like we've said, you know, time and time again during this segment, it isn't just your average run of the mill VAR missed this again. It is so blatantly an incorrect call and so so with so much human error behind it that it it almost begs the question of match fixing at this point. Well, again, like, that's that's where the punishment comes in with Darren England not officiating Liverpool. Look, that's a whole different kettle of fish. Yeah. And it's something that you would have to look at unpacking in a completely different way. But if you do that, you could go back all those years ago to all the penalties that United were given in the early noughties and the and the Fergie era when people were going, oh, you know, Manchester United and the refs, it's just one of those things. Fergie time. Yeah. You, know, you think yeah. about that Michael Owen goal against Man City. Played like an extra like three minutes. You know, that's that's when you start unpacking all that stuff and it becomes incredibly messy. It's one of those things. Match fixing probably does happen. But you would like to think it wouldn't be A, on that scale, or B, if it was, that fucking obvious. Yeah. Because it's it's just crazy. But what nobody wants to be a referee because of the abuse they get. I mean, you see it in, you know, all the way down to grassroots level. No one wants to be a referee, especially in grassroots level, because, you know, I mean, I've I've been part of matches for my um, for my amateur team where we've already had, you know, police interventions because people, have you know, kicked off because of uh, some call. And then, you know, both of our teams got into a really an all out brawl. It wasn't I mean, this specific instance wasn't about a call was about um you know a uh you know some words that were said to fans um or i say fans but spectators uh around the pitch but that's beside the point you just basically see you know how things can kick off and especially at a grassroots level where you don't have a stadium full of um pitch side uh pitch side guards monitoring the whole crowd and and things like that where a referee is just a normal person who shows up to do a job 
um yeah i think it's pretty safe to say you know we don't need to look far as to why there are initiatives from fas all around the world to basically stop the hate that gets directed at referees but at the end of the day you know we see it time and time again people are going to kick off because things like this happen human error you can forgive exactly it's when you have the assistance of technology that's there to prevent this you know if, if onana had doc octopus arms attached to his back yeah and he still know, let it in and yeah. still dropped a ball then you you'd kick off but it's one of those it's it's going to take a long time i mean the the short answer for premier league officials or professional match officials anyway um is uh don't be so fucking bad at your job and people won't abuse you but you know i've spoken to people whose teams have gone down last season who are enjoying football without var you know you score that's it it's done there's no five minute pause but on the subject of var Let's move away from the Premier League and let's cross over to the Bundesliga because there was another refereeing decision that's a little bit controversial. Yeah, I mean, you alluded to it. It was Rami Benzibaini's red card. And, you know, just to kick this off before we delve into the details or the other details of that match, is it a second yellow for you, yes or no, the way Benzavayini kicks the ball away? And I say kicks in quotation marks. No, it's not. But under those new bullshit regulations, it probably would be. But it's not like he's hoofed it down the field. He's tapped it away. Again, so his team can get back into position. Here's something that's going to make you even more infuriated in the extended highlights you see another camera angle on it and you see how hoffenheim's backup keeper already gets another ball to his teammate before hoffenheim's manager pellegrino matarazzo can even really kick off about the fact that benzabaini at the end of the day has tapped the ball away from the manager so in that sense it shouldn't be a yellow card because the ball wasn't, like you said, it wasn't hoofed away. It was tapped away. But I think for me, the one issue is definitely not, you know, a first time offender when it comes to kicking the ball away. He's actually seen yellow reds on two separate occasions for Gladbach because of the same thing. He was booked for some challenge. And then stupidly, while already on a yellow, hoofs the ball away. And he actually does hoof it away. So would you say it's the fact that he's a repeat offender, so to speak, which is why a referee would be already primed to book him, even if it wasn't, you know, something like that. Even if it was like it, like it happened, it was not a hoof away, but it was, you know, a little tap away. It's probably a mixture of that. Yeah, okay, he's got previous for it. But also pressure on officials now to enforce the new regulations. So they've probably been told that you have to enforce this because if they don't enforce the rules, they get marked down. And then, you know, if that referee hadn't 
giving him a second yellow and a red. There's every possibility he could be doing a Bundesliga two match this coming weekend. Yeah, yeah. Or he'd be dropped to a less prestigious match or something like that. It's It sucks, and it shouldn't be the case, because gamesmanship happens all the time. I know they're cracking down on time-wasting now, but time-wasting is towards the end of the second half. You cannot time-waste after 12 minutes. Because that just, how is that going to help you? You've still got 70 plus minutes to go. Well, I mean, yeah, it, I just to correct, it, it was in the 70, yeah, it was the 70th minute, you know, but still 70th minute time wasting. You're not going to, it's still 20 minutes left to go. Time wasting is start, you know, 82nd, 83rd, maybe 85th minute onwards. I'll understand it 100%. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, for me, it's just the fact that the player already, the Hoffenheim player already had a ball in his hands by the time Benzabaini was, you know, done kicking the ball away in quotation marks. Well, this is where I'd, I would have more sympathy with the referee had this happened in the middle of the pitch. Had he fouled the player and then kicked the ball away? Fine, I got no issues with that. The fact this happened off the pitch in and around the technical area. That's why you have a multi-ball system. That's why you have ball boys and... Yeah, exactly. It was, and he, the tap away was was off pitch. It wasn't like he was on the pitch, tapped it out of bounds. It was already out of bounds. He was out of bounds, meaning that Dortmund actually had a disadvantage in that sense because there were a player less. It's it's one of those things where, you know, um, Edin Tezic said at the, end of the, at the end of the day, you know, in the press conference, he was like, yeah, he knows he it was stupid and... Um, he shouldn't have done it. I could sit here and say that, you know, maybe the referee should have had a little bit more of a better, you know, in, in German, you say Fingerspitzengefühl, which means, uh, you know, fingertip feeling. So like a little bit of a finer um, grasp of the situation. And, you know, in that sense, being able to see both sides of, of the situation and being able to um, make a decision not based purely off of, yep, black and white. You know, this is a gray area. We can we can have some leeway, so so to speak. And I think that is what was missing here as well. But at the end of the day, for me, it's just a, com- a combination of he he had some priors, so to speak, um, where he very clearly does kick away a ball and receives a yellow red, and that probably then you know tipped the scales out of his favor when the referee should have had should have been able to you know say this is a gray area there's some leeway exactly but let us know what you think find it let us know but let's talk about the rest of that match because mistakes galore i was about to say error ridden i mean and on both sides so i think the one nil that dortmund score i'm just asking questions of the person throwing the ball to John Anthony Brooks, because if you're throwing the ball, Dortmund were on a high press. So they, you had two Dortmund um, players being Julian Brandt and Niklas Füllkrug, who were in a 10 meter radius of John Anthony Brooks. And you know that unless you've got Marcelo-esque control, John Anthony Brooks is getting a ball that he's probably going to have to control with his chest and need at least two touches before he can do anything else with that ball. One or two touches. So, yes, John Anthony Brooks 
doesn't control it well, basically chests it right to Julian Brandt. But I'd also ask a question of who's throwing it to a center back who is so obviously under pressure and also throwing it to the middle of the park. It wasn't like, you know, he, you know, in that situation, yeah, probably it's a right back taking the throw. But then as a right back, you're looking more to your right mid or a central midfielder because throwing it to a center back who's so obviously under pressure, it baffles me. Well, that's the thing. You'd be better off chucking it up the pitch. Exactly. And even if it does get intercepted by Dortmund and they win it back, you're not putting your centre-back under immediate pressure. Well, yeah, obviously, you know, the throw was so bad that basically you only had one defender left and it was a through ball from Blunt to Fuglug and Fuglug was the wrong goal. That's all it took. But, I mean, on the other end, Mats Hummels almost committed two errors in the span of five seconds. Plays into what we spoke about a couple of episodes ago. Not quite at his best, because you think three, four, definitely five-plus years ago, he's making that tackle. Well, I mean, I'd argue five-plus years ago, he doesn't even make the first pass to begin with. Fair. No, very fair, very fair. It's just sad seeing players like that essentially crumble. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, just to completely derail this for for a second. Uh, it's currently the Champions League is currently on. Um, Newcastle, first home game in the Champions League for twenty three years, playing PSG, and uh, we'll keep this in. Uh, but if I was to tell you after forty three minutes that it was Newcastle United two. Paris Saint-Germain nil. <laughs> You're kidding. Uh, with with the goal scorers not being Alexander Isak, Sandro Tonali, Bruno Guimaraes, being Miguel Almiron, Atlanta's oh. finest, and Jordi Boy, Dan Byrne, against a team that's got Donnarumma, Hakimi, Marquinhos, Skriniar, Lucas Hernandez. I mean, Zaya Emery and Manuel Ugarte Okay, fair enough. It's not what it used to be in midfield. But then Colomuani, Mbappe, Dembele, Gonzalo Ramos. So, uh, more on the Geordie boys. Anyway, let's go back to Hummel's giving the ball away. And that's mistake number two in that match. And it's 1-1. Well, mistake number three gives you the 2-1 because... It's a low cross from Donny Malin, who, by the way, had an unreal game. I mean, even on the way to the 2-1, he's basically like a tank. He just bulldozes through against defenders who have a solid 10 kilos of weight on him and still manages to get the cross. And the low cross is spilled by Hoffenheim goalkeeper Oliver Baumann, allowing Royce for the tap-in. So, you know, three goals, three individual errors. And I mean, it was up until that point of the 2-1, you would almost argue that Hoffenheim were nearer a 2-1 lead than Dortmund. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things. Dortmund this season so far, they don't really wow you with the way they're getting points on the board, but the, the, points, the points they have, they're there. And at the end of the day, you can't really 
talk about, yeah, okay, a team's playing like crap when they're at least getting the results in. Because at the end of the day, it's a 3-1 win, three points on the board, plus two goal difference. What more do you want? And I think Niklas Fukuk, he, he said it best in the pre-match pes- press conference ahead of uh, the Champions League, which they're playing right now. And he basically said, um, when asked about you know the the playing style of Dortmund, how it's not really up to been up to scratch so far, he was basically like, you know what, I really think that the the way the media kind of blows this out of proportion is kind of unfair. You know, you had a Donny Malen who was uh, bulldozing his way through, like I said, um, to uh, on and he's fighting off defenders who are you know twice his size basically, and we get the results at the end of the, at the end of the day, and you know you can. You can sit here and argue all you want, but for teams like Chelsea Football Club in 2012 managed to win the Champions League without playing any type of beautiful football, but parking the bus. I'm not saying Dortmund are parking the bus per se, but you know the way they're winning games, it's not pretty. There's some luck involved, and you know obviously we'll see how far this really does take them, but at the end of the day, it's still bringing points to the board. Well, it helps you build that foundation, get that confidence in your players that, okay, we're not playing great, but we can still get points on the board. That's when you put the ball, you you know, you put the ball on the grass and you play nice football to win games. You're not going to play a 10 out of 10 match every single week. You have to win those games where you're playing five out of 10, four out of 10. In Dortmund's case this season, three out of 10. Yeah, exactly. So I think, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, what gets you goals gets you goals and what gets you points gets you points. Um, and I think the same can be said for Bayern because, like you said in the intro, their comeback abilities have been showcased. But the problem is, if you already have to come back from being down, you're obviously not playing too well either. No. And... You've lamented this at, at points. You know, they, they brought in new players, brought in Kim Min Jae as well, Conrad Lima for that defensive midfield stability. And it's still the same. You know, you could argue not having Malmour Nori is a big help, but you said it to me yesterday. Sven Ulreich made a massive save to keep you in the lead against FC Copenhagen. So when you're 2 0 down to Leipzig, there's probably flashbacks. In fans' minds, anyway, back to that Super Cup. Are oh, we just going to to get turned over again? We're just going to lose again. But to come back and draw two all again says a lot about the club and the players and and the and the manager. But there's all those questions because Kane can can score as many goals as you want. He's currently got eight goals and three assists. But if they can't keep them out of the other end, it's it's just a number and they're not going to mean anything at the end of the day you almost have to agree with Luto Mateos who said Kim Min Jae at this point is not really a stability factor in that defense I think he at this point in the season has not shown or has yet to show why he was voted the best defender in the Serie A last season which I'm saying is no slouch because to get the best defender in the top flight of Italian football is something that I think should be applauded more than the rest of the top five leagues because Italian football is notorious for having the top defenders. 
You know, there, there was definitely a reason why Bayern signed him. I'm not disputing that. But up till now, it's definitely not been rock solid at the back. And I'm asking serious questions right now. Why Delicht is being foregone in that starting lineup up till now? Because time and time again, there have been individual errors. Um, things haven't been working out. Either the list is so badly injured or is, you know, got a cre- an injury that keeps creeping up again that's keeping him from reaching his full potential. Or the list is in such bad form, you know, even worse form than Kim and Jay, which after last season, I don't really see happening. That's the thing. The other option that you can think of, the one that springs to mind, is maybe his performances in training aren't up to scratch but for a player who was the captain of Ajax at the age that he was you find that incredibly hard to believe that he doesn't put a shift in on the training pitch no so that brings us very nicely uh onto a small bit of transfer news regarding Bayern Munich a player that some fans think shouldn't have been let go in the first place so Jerome Boateng is coming back to Bayern after being let go or his contract expired at uh, Lyon. Is this some big brain move from Thomas Tuchel and the big men upstairs? Or is this Bayern Munich's very own Johnny Evans moment? I mean, I think the Bayern bosses think it's big brain time. But at the end of the day, it's more showcasing that they haven't done their homework over this past transfer period. And what I mean by that is they went into a transfer period where they let go of Benjamin Pavard. Obviously that's all well and good because he wanted out and you still got a respectable fee for him, but you can't then also let go of Josip Stanisic who did unbelievably well against Messi and Mbappe in the Champions League um, round of 16 previous season and kept them in check for 90 minutes and is also a player who is versatile versatile enough to play at the centre-back as well as the right-back position, both positions where, where Bayern are lacking at the minute, just purely in numbers and people of a certain quality who can, you know, at least bolster the numbers that they've got. So if you don't, if you let him go, you let Pavago, you've only got Masrawi at right back and Bonassa, who has played all of, you know, what, three games since since coming to Bayern? And no one ex- no one expects him to play. No one knows why he was brought in in the first place. So now it, it more or less is basically, a, you know, that's the best option you've got right now. A 35-year-old Jerome Boateng, who just from a sporting standpoint, there has to be a reason why Leon let him go. And he's not, you know, he's he's not going to be the same Boateng who helped Bayern win the treble or the sextuple two years ago. I'm forgetting Lucas Hernandez as well, also. Exactly. But, I mean, off the uh, display of PSG in the Champions League tonight against Newcastle, you probably uh, dodged a bullet with that one. But... Back to Jerome Berte, exactly. This isn't the player that won all those trophies. There's a reason he was let go when he was, whether it was some fans, whether some fans disagreed with that or not. 
is irrelevant because there's a sporting reason why he was let go. In all honesty, I can't really see why he was let go at that point, but that's that's beside the point. The fact of the matter is now, you know, he's training with the reserve with uh or with the with the players who don't play at the weekend basically so not you know with the reserve squad but not with the starting you know 11 or full squad so he's he's had a couple training sessions um i believe he probably can get to that fitness level where he probably could help Bayern. but i think for me the bigger issue is his legal battles off the pitch because he's not just been charged with domestic abuse he is appealing a domestic abuse conviction and for all the stuff that we've said about Mason Greenwood and Anthony at United and how the club should have severed ties with him right away, for Bayern to then bring back a guy and basically say, yeah, in the words of our sporting director, Christoph Freund, um, his legal issues are, you know, a personal issue. This has nothing to do with his football. And Thomas Tuchel to basically say innocent until proven guilty. My friend, he's appealing a decision that means he's been convicted yeah my man he is guilty (laughs) it's it's that thing that i have an issue with and you know it's it's also not like he's a star center back where you at least could make the excuse that he is um you know from a sporting standpoint he helps so much that it negates the the legal issues off the pitch which also in my opinion it, it it very it, that's just a thin argument you're grasping at straws at that point but it's not but for me the thing is it's you can't even make that argument so why are you bringing him back not it's not going to sit well with a lot of the fan base or a good portion of the fan base so i don't know i mean i think from a sporting standpoint he could still help by on more than people think or some experts are saying but the issues with his you know off the pitch um legal battles i think it it's just too much what it is is another damning uh indictment to your stuffy old boys board yeah you know i mean it doesn't help when you've had you know guys like Karl-Heinz Rummenigger say Oh, I don't see any issue with uh, Luis Rubiales's conduct at the after the Women's World Cup final, and then you think, well, my man, you you literally have just fit the cliche of the old white man who doesn't understand that times have changed. Um, yeah. Okay. I mean, look, you've got some great players for Bayern's women's team. Yeah. You know, but a similar thing to how United women's team would have reacted had Greenwood been brought back or exactly you know how they have possibly reacted no one said how they've reacted to Anthony coming back because he, he he played a part in the game against Galatasaray yesterday came on as a substitute yeah but sit them down because this isn't a oh he said she said situation where it's you know I'm trying to prove that I didn't this man has been convicted of it so you've got all those women playing for Bayern, you know, the likes of Georgia Stanway for England. You know, she's won the Euros, played the World Cup final. What's their take? How do they feel about this? Because you'd be well within your rights for them to to sit there and think, well, you clearly don't care. About us, yeah. About us. You clearly don't care what the women's team have to say. It's, it's not a part of the Bayern family. Like, 
they would make it out to be. I think there probably will be some protest, not to the level where I think Bayern won't sign him. Or yeah, exactly. If, even if there is a lot of it, they won't pay attention anyway. I yeah, I was about to say he's 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 already been photographed in training kit and had multiple training sessions with the team. I think it's a matter of time until we see Boateng officially brought back. Given, give obviously given how you feel, and I would assume that one would assume that that would probably reflect most of the fan base. Yeah, that it's going to be you know the wrong decision to bring him back because it, of because yeah. of these because of the the conviction and all that and the appeal. Is it right of me to assume that this will be a minimal fanfare? Oh, by the way, Jerome's back. Not let's welcome back Jerome Boateng, who won X, Y, and Z with Bayern, this club legend who's won the World Cup with Germany. Let's welcome him back and we'll unveil him on the pitch at the Allianz because I think then you open yourself to more criticism for essentially glorifying someone convicted of what he's been convicted of. I think I I don't think he's going to be brought back with such fanfare. I think also that's down to the fact that he's going to be brought in mid-season. Um, obviously, because he is a free agent, he will be allowed to sign whatever contract Bayern give him at whatever time he and they will please. Um, I don't think there's going to be a big fanfare. I mean, there's obviously going to be a press conference with the new kit being shown um, with his name on the back and whatnot. That probably will be the case, but. You know, just to put it into perspective, he was part of the Legends game um, when Bayern had that 10-year reunion for the treble-winning team of 2013. And people were already kicking off about the fact that he was part of that game. And this was a Legends game. Think about how much people will now kick off when he officially becomes part of the team again. So, I don't know. Like I said, I think from a sporting standpoint, the argument can be made and he probably will help Bayern to just become that, you know, backup option so that Leon Goretzka doesn't have to play center back in the DFB Pokal, which he did with Masraoui. Um, obviously a little bit of a shit show moment there for whoever planned the squad. But yeah, at the end of the day, you can't say that that outweighs the stuff off the pitch and the legal battles off the pitch. I think there's just too much there. And, you know, at the end of the day, like we've said, it's a clear question of, of you know, where or what the club thinks its values are and what the club wants to, wants to show for its values. And, you know, if the women's team are really going to think all that much of a Boateng comeback, uh, I, I wouldn't expect too much in all honesty. And I think that's, you can't there's no argument against it really well we will have to try and get someone from our friends at her game too on to talk about this and all the other issues that seem to be cropping up in men's football more and more frequently but after an episode full of controversy lewis i think that's probably a good place to end it that's right. And don't forget to, as always, like, share and subscribe to 50 Plus One Sports on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. 
And make sure to check out the 50 plus one football show on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, and Spotify. But thank you very much for listening, guys. Keep calm and love the beautiful game.